Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Our guest today is Maya Corbett. Maya is a first-generation immigrant from war-torn Bosnia. Maya's family lost everything in the war and immigrated to the United States with two suitcases and $50. Despite all the hardships, Maya earned a CPA license and had a career as a CFO, auditor, and tax accountant. After learning that financial literacy was not being taught in schools, Maya realized the importance of teaching her kids about money. For almost 10 years, her brand Teach Kids Money has helped parents raise financially independent adults through various workshops and her Wealthy Kids Investment Club membership. In this episode, you'll learn when to start teaching your kids about money, age-appropriate ways to bring up money to children, and ways that you can start investing for your children. We hope you get a lot out of this episode. As always, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and motivation. Hey, Maya, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a mom. I'm a uh, mom of two teenagers now, and I'm a CPA as well. I have uh, been teaching kids about money for the past 10 years. I have been helping parents teach kids about money for the past 10 years. I actually, I come from a family of immigrants. I was an immigrant when I was 15. My family came to Canada with two suitcases and $50. So we kind of started from nothing. And I had a hard time learning about money on my own, but I managed to learn it. And of course, became a CPA in the process. And as a CPA, I realized there were a lot of people that were struggling with money. And I also realized that the only way to prevent that was not the only way, but one of the ways to prevent that was to actually teach them when they are younger and set them up for success by, you know, instilling good money management habits. So that's kind of the reason why I started my company and started teaching kids about money and helping parents teach kids about money. I love it. I love it. That's actually so hard right now, right? Like oftentimes I think as parents, you know, you're like, when do you actually like bring up the money conversation for kids, right? And I love how, you know, you used your experience as a CPA to want not only like you identified a gap, right? With a lot of parents, with people that there just really isn't a lot of financial literacy that we're taught in schools. And so, or even at a young age. And so I love that you kind of took it upon yourself to, to really just fill that gap. Yeah. I mean, there was really, it was scary. You know, I've met some individuals, they had six figure incomes like back, you know, this is, we're talking 10 years ago. I mean, they're probably making even more now. And I remember, you know, doing their taxes and then just really like seeing that, you know, once they pay off their taxes and some of them had hard time paying taxes, right. Because they were self-employed and whatnot, but these people had nothing to show for it. Like everything they brought in was spent, but not only spent, they were struggling because a lot of them were in debt. And uh, it's just like they're, I remember like talking to some of them and their mental approach or like just their, their thinking about money seemed completely off. And then I realized that because I had, my kids were really small at the time. I was like, okay, well, you know what? Like, what can I do to prevent my children to end up that way. And then I started looking into it and I was like, okay, what is the school going to teach them? And back then the schools were not teaching much about financial literacy. We've literally come a long way in the last 10 years. I mean, you know, the financial literacy is being introduced in different schools like Florida just announced, I think a few months ago that it's mandatory in their school system 
And I think a lot more, a lot more um, school boards are jumping on board with that. And there are a lot of websites and free resources online where people can learn how to manage money. But this was not, it wasn't really like this before. So um, anyways, I, once I learned that my kids were not going to you know, be educated in school about money. That's kind of when I took it upon myself to educate my own kids. And then I realized, okay, I'm going to expand this to as many people or as many children as I possibly can. So like my, my vision, actually, I have it here in my office. I'm looking at it and it is to educate every child to become a financially independent adult. Like literally that word, every is capitalized and it's like underlined. And I know it's like a bold mission, but that is my goal just to like, you know, create as many financially educated little humans as possible. Yeah, no, that's a great mission that you have. You know, we all can agree that when we were younger or kids, you know, money wasn't even a concept that we even thought of. And talked about, really. Yeah. And you're doing a, a great job in that space. And it just makes me think, you know, we have a little one, she's three. What age should parents like start to have the conversations about money? Yeah. So usually, I mean, there are a lot of different indicators um, that can tell you it's time to start. Every child is very different. So you as a parent, you really need to gauge when your child is ready. So it would be like when they, they, they're, they've learned how to count, or it could be when, you know, they're playing a role playing and you see them that they're playing store or they're playing and pretending like they're paying for something. Or it could be when you're in, in a, let's say, a store and they are begging you to buy them a toy or candy. At that point in time, you can tell that they have, you know, they're demonstrating that they understand that money is used as an exchange to buy things. So that's usually a good time to kind of get them started. But it can happen any time between, you know, age three, four, sometimes later. But, you know, that's why I think every parent kind of just needs to figure out what is uh, what works best for their child when it comes to that or when is the best start time to start. I agree with what you said that, you know, using, you know, playtime, like you said, like when they're playing with a cash register or, you know, when you're, you know, use real life examples, right? If you're going to the store, like for our daughter, you know, I, I, I give her the money or the credit card, <laughs> not really, we don't really use dollars anymore, but I give her the credit card so that she can start paying for things, especially things that she wants. So she knows, you know, that things cost money. But, you know, one thing that I've noticed is that oftentimes, you know, a lot of parents put their own limiting beliefs, their own limiting money beliefs on their children. And so, especially now, I think a lot of kids are so immersed in social media and they have access to, I think, a lot more financial education than their parents had when they were younger. And oftentimes I see children go up and see, talk to their parents about, should I do this? Should I invest? And sometimes their parents, you know, don't, they don't have the answers and they don't know how to guide their child. So like, how can parents, you know, not put their own limiting money beliefs on their children, especially when their child has an appetite to learn more? Oh, it's such a great question. You know, when I started teaching kids about money, I, I don't think I was very aware of how important money mindset is. This is like 10 years ago. And as I started doing this over the years, I met parents with a lot like that, you know, kind of grew up with limiting beliefs. And actually, you know, we all have limiting beliefs. We have all grown up 
in different kinds of environments. But it's really important for us as parents to identify those limiting beliefs. So one way of doing that would be just like a quick exercise where, you know, we sit down and on a piece of paper, we write, a, we write like three things. So what did we hear about money when we were growing up? Like, I'll give an example of my parents. My mom always used to say, say that, you know, money was so hard to earn. And once you have it, you just hold on to it. Like you don't let it go. Like meaning like you don't invest, you don't like, you just hold on to this money. Right. But you know, that's kind of like what I heard. And we can talk about why that is a limiting belief. Maybe there are people out there that still believe that. Right. Then other thing would be like, what did you see when it comes with respect to money as you were growing up? Did you see people who have like big car or sorry, big mansions and expensive cars? Did that you know, associate what did you associate those things with wealth and are they really wealth? Do you still associate those things with financial success and wealth? And then the, the third part is emotions. Like what kind of emotions come up when you think about money? You know, what happened when you were little? Did your parents argue about money? When you think of money, do you think of like your, your mom crying or your dad yelling or those kind of things? Right. And so we need to, first of all, understand how we think about money. And then, you know, step one is awareness. And then second step is trying to change that slowly and also be very aware of what we say to our children. Because a lot of times, like I'll tell parents, for example, but some parents will just say, oh, you know, when we're in the store and a child is asking them to buy them something, they're like, we can't afford it. Well, that's not really the best answer because maybe you can afford it, but there could be other reasons why you're not buying it. So maybe the better answer would be we can afford it, but that's not a need. That's a want. Or if this is a want right now, we are not going to, we're not going to get it right now, but let's make a plan how we can save up for it so that we can eventually afford it. So it's just changing that, that wording to inspire our children and and make them believe that they can have anything they want. They just have to prioritize and delay gratification. Yeah, that was a key word that you mentioned, delay gratification. Because that's what in that example that you gave there, you're teaching them that, right? Hey, you just don't buy it right now. You set up a plan for it, you save for it, and then you buy it, right? And that's a better way of thinking. And I just love where you said like, a lot of times, I think we can remember growing up, our parents be like, oh, we can't, we, we don't have money for that. Or you, we can't afford that. And then in your mind, it's like, hey, whenever you want something, like you can't, you can't have it. Yeah, I think, you know, having a scarcity mindset is very real. And I'll even say that I think it's something <laughs> that, that I actually times, yeah. deal with mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And so because I, you know, am working through that scarcity mindset, it makes me make certain decisions where I'm extremely conservative with my money. And that's not a bad thing, but I think anything excess. in excess is not good, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, but I just want to say, I struggle with that as well. Scarcity mindset. And it's very hard for me to spend money because of that. Right. And spending money is not necessarily bad. It's just as, as long as it's mindful spending. So I think as parents, we want to encourage that mindful spending. And so saying to my child, we can't afford it is very different from saying like, uh, I have the money for it, but let's practice mindful spending. I choose not to spend money on that. Or if it's really that important, 
sure, we could spend money on that. But like, again, let's save up for it. Let's practice delayed gratification. Can we, is there an opportunity cost? Can we do something better with this money? So it's that mindful, yeah, mindful spending. Yeah. And it makes me think of an example. Right. And it's like giving your kids a budget to let's say, you know, you're going into a store, you give them two dollars. Right. And that allows them to get, you know, let's say Play-Doh or something. And they say they want three Play-Dohs and it's like three Play-Dohs. Play-Dohs cost three dollars. So you only could get two. And it's like you go in there making sure like, hey, this is only what you are allowed to spend, which is like a budget. So, you know, it's a lot of ways that I'm just thinking of that I think would be helpful. And I love what you said, like mindful spending. Right. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with spending mindful, but it's I think when we get into that impulsive those impulsive spending habits that can become harmful where we just need to be mindful, intentional about how we're spending our money. And so, so yeah, I, I totally agree. And so, yeah, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, we talked about uh, briefly about how, you know, parents can, or when parents can start having conversations about money, but I want to like go through a breakdown an age specific breakdown of what are some of the appropriate age appropriate ways that parents can really talk about money with their kids. So like from the toddler years to the, I don't know, grammar school years, is that what you call it? Elementary, <laughs> Elementary school years to, to high school. Um, adolescence to, you know, that t- mid teen, preteen, you know, I, I only have yeah, a three year old. I, I don't even know the. Yeah, what's the, the cool kids? <laughs> what, you know, cool kids sweet 16. <laughs> so like, can you just break that down for us as like a, can you just break down like how parents can have those conversations things to do with their t- mm-hmm. with their kids? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, we can, you know, a lot of times people are surprised when I tell them that they can start laying foundation in toddler years when it comes to teaching kids about money. So it's like, you know, things that, you know, for example, let's say your child is playing with blocks and they're building something and let's say they're building a castle. They can only build that castle with as many blocks as they have, which kind of translates to money. You can only spend what you have, right? So it's understanding that, you know, money is limited and that we have to kind of be mindful as how we're spending it or be mindful with these blocks, how we're using them. And so that's just one example. Another example would be teaching our kids to share. And I know a lot of times parents are surprised when I tell them that donating and giving is part of financial literacy, but, you know, teaching our kids to be grateful for what they have is really like one of the first fundamental steps of financial literacy, because if we're grateful for what we have, there's less need to spend more. We can spend mindfully, but, and it's also good to, you know, bless others and and realize like sometimes through others, how well we have it. I think it was one of your quotes that I just posted recently for Canadian Thanksgiving. And I think you said, what did you say? You said something like, you know, some people pray for what you have, so be grateful for it. So I think that's really important to teach our kids. And I actually share that quote with my children. But so when they're little, those are the kind of things that we can instill in them. And then as they start to, you know, they get older, they learn how to count, they start to understand that money is used as an exchange for things. I went to schools and I was teaching kindergartens about the difference between needs and wants. And they understand this very well. And I remember like some of my clients, when I used to, you know, do people's taxes, had a difficult time understanding what is a need, what's a want, right? Because, you know, they just wanted everything. But kindergarten is actually really good at understanding that. They're also, this. that's also a good age to start with some sort of allowance. I mean, there are four different allowance methods and 
I always encourage families to choose the one that's best for them. But the idea behind the allowance is really to use it as a teaching tool, whereas the kids get to make decisions and learn from those decisions. And it's good that they make mistakes because you want them to make mistakes when the dollar amounts are low and the stakes are not as high. And basically, you know, you give them this allowance and it's theirs to, to spend and, and, you know, save and invest and donate and whatever. And so when they're like usually in preschool or kindergarten age, you can, you know, you have to give them some guidance as to what you expect them to do with that money. And then once they, you know, they're older, like grades, you know, like one, two, or the, I, I guess I know I should probably be talking about ages because I know that in some, depending on who's listening to this podcast, like some people have like the, or some countries have different grade grading levels, but I would say like age eight, nine, 10, like I would involve them with simple budgets. Like it could be a budget for their birthday. It could be back to school budgeting. They're actually very much capable and understanding that, you know, with the budget, they only have a certain amount of money that they have to spend. So then they have to prioritize and figure out what to spend money on first. And then after that, I always suggest that, you know, people start, I would say around age 10, 11, that they really start teaching kids to invest and comparing, you know, savings account, like how much money their, how much money their savings account would make versus how much they could earn if they invest that money and start to slowly teach them about compound interest. Not necessarily the math part, but more that the fact that compound interest is kind of like the, the, the eighth wonder of the world, as, as Einstein called it, and that it can be used to their advantage that literally they don't need to invest as much money when they're younger, but they could become extremely wealthy because of investing. And then as they get older, I like to talk about cash flow quadrant. I like to talk about passive sources of income where we don't have to exchange our time for money, but we can actually you know, use our money and resources, certain resources to actually make us more money. And then as they get closer in to, to age 18, that's a scary age for me because I know that a lot of students end up getting their first credit card when they go off to university. So I think it's really important to talk to them about uh, proper management of credit cards and debt, which I personally believe are not necessarily, the, you know, debt and credit cards are not necessarily bad things. We just need to know how to use them and how to use them to produce income or, you know, for income benefiting purposes. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more, um, actually my, I, I do have a post on my Instagram where I kind of break it down by topic for each different age group. But uh, I mean, it's a fully loaded question. really. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I think, you know, it is hard, right? Like as parents, because it's like one, as a parent, you have so many other things going on. Right. <laughs> and it's like trying to educate your kids about money is just another thing that on your plate that you need to help your children through. Because again, like you said, the education system doesn't. And so in order for your children to be, you know, self-sufficient, financially savvy adults is you have to start when they're younger and having those money conversations sooner than later. Yeah. And and I just want to add because, you know, it, it can get overwhelming, right? Yeah. You're thinking about, you know, the health of your child. You're thinking of where they're going to school. You think it's a lot of things that just goes on mm-hmm. every year. So one thing that me and Angie actually did is like we when we do our vision board, we also include our daughter as well and have goals for her. And one of them may be something related around money. Right. So for her, it was like counting to 100 this year. But it's like certain things that you can put on there just to add to make more sure money books, that right? or something it's a like part that. of the conversation mm-hmm. for the year. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I love what you said. And I, I, I want to go back to something that stood out to me about allowances. You know, you said that there's four different allowance methods. Can you break that down for our audience? And I mean, I have my own philosophy on allowance. RJ has his own philosophy, but let's hear what yours is. <laughs> and All then right. I'm just we'll curious. Share do, you guys, do you guys agree on the same? Is, do you guys have the same philosophy? I wouldn't say we disagree, but I... I don't believe I, we had two different ways two different growing up, growing up. Right. I never got an allowance growing up and I received one for my hard work and uh, so, as rightfully <laughs> deserves. And so now we're at a point where we have to decide, you know, as our daughter gets older, will we give her an allowance? So I'm very curious about your methods. Uh, so I actually, okay. You guys are a perfect example of what I've been witnessing over the last 10 years. Parents disagree on allowance methods. They're very passionate about it. Like I have seen arguments. I've seen like crazy comments on social media on like some of my posts about allowance because some people really feel strongly about it. So this is one thing that I've learned. So first of all, there is no one one fit all approach. You have to choose what's in line with your family. So I always tell people, uh, number one thing that everybody should do is write down their family values. What are your family values and the allowance and how you're teaching your child about money needs to be in line with that. And then the second thing, which is, it's really important. And it's so funny that you guys slightly disagree is that both parents or guardians have to be on the same page because you cannot start teaching about money unless you're on the same page. So it's actually funny because um, I do have this course on how to teach kids about money. And I have this workbook where I, um, Basically, what you're supposed to do, it's for parents. And the parent, parents are really supposed to fill it out before they start teaching about money. So you print out two copies of it. You take five minutes. Each of you goes uh, into their own corner, fills it out, and you sit down and you discuss it and you hash it out. And I remember when I created this workbook, I did it like maybe five years after my husband and I were teaching our kids about money. And to test it before I rolled it out, I was like, I said to my husband, I said, let's go, you know, let's do this. So we did this exercise and it was so embarrassing because we did not agree on the same approach. And it was kind of like, wait, wait a second. Like I thought for the last five years, we're teaching the same thing, but you know, we were disagreeing on some things. So it was actually perfect for us to sit down and really talk about these differences and reflect upon our own values as a family and build an approach for our kids based on that. So that's kind of like the prelude to allowance methods. And then the four allowance methods are, the first one is allowance tied to chores. So parents, and by the way, again, there's no right or wrong. You have to choose what's right for your family and you can choose one method and try it. If it doesn't work, you can choose another one. And keep trying until something sticks, right? But the allowance method that's tied to chores, uh, parents who support this method, they believe that you know their children need to learn that they need to work hard in order to earn money and the money doesn't grow on trees. And so if the child doesn't do the chores, they obviously do not get paid. The second allowance method is allowance method that's not tied to chores. And these parents believe that allowance is a teaching tool. It's really just there to teach their child about money. If the child, so the allowance is always given, but if the child misbehaves, they take away other things like play dates, screen time, and so on. But the allowance stays because they want the child to use the allowance and learn how to manage it. And these parents believe that 
when their kids grow up, nobody will pay them to make their own bed. Nobody will pay them to empty out the dishwasher and so on. And then there is the third approach, which is the hybrid between the first two. And these parents actually give their kids some money during the week, like each week or each month, however they decide. But then there's an option for the child to earn money so that the child learns that, you know, they, they have to work to earn money. And some parents like to pay their kids for things that they would pay somebody else, especially if the kids are older, like they can pay them to wash their car instead of taking the car to the car wash to mow the lawn instead of maybe hiring someone to do that and so on. And then the fourth allowance method is really not giving allowance at all. So those parents uh, that choose to do that, I always suggest that they need to set a stellar example of how money should be managed. So the kids need to, essentially, as the kids are growing up, they're observing this and they're learning from their parents. But I always suggest for these parents to give some opportunities to kids to manage money. Like it would be again, you know, involving them in like budgeting for the child's birthday party or budgeting for like back to school shopping or slowly involving them with like the household budget or maybe the grocery shopping budget. And as they get older, kind of teaching them, okay, this is our meal plan for the week. Let's figure out what do we need to buy for this meal plan and how can we save money when we're going grocery shopping and slowly maybe trans- transferring that responsibility onto the child when they're you know, in their late teens because you know, that child will be leaving the home soon and maybe this is something that you know, they need to learn. So those are the four different methods. I'm actually curious after hearing this, like, where do you see yourself? I'm very curious and we'll have to probably like, you know, yes. we'll so, so, you know, I always think about, you know, it's, it's always good for fair labor practices amongst <laughs> your <laughs> children, right? Mm-hmm. Although they are, you know, you have control or responsibility for them. I think they are free humans. So <laughs> I like the first one, right? The first one, well, I'll actually say the the hybrid because we're not going to, give allowance for our child for everything that they do in the house. But I do think there's like certain things in the house that maybe you would potentially pay other people to do that the child can do as well. So I'm, I'm more of a fan of number three, you know, just thinking in terms of fair labor practices. What about you, and- Angie? <laughs> <laughs> for me, I would say, okay, so number four is how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that was helpful because my mom was so intentional about including me in the financial management of our house. And so at an early age, I was sitting next to my mom while she budgeted her checkbook. Okay. Like this was when we carried around checks all the time and she would sit there and tell me, like, show me how she allocated her money and whatnot. And I think that was very impactful for me and allowed me to have good money management skills. And so I think (laughs) You know, I think I think to your point, it's so important to involve like don't just give your kids an allowance, but involve them in the the financial management of our of the household, you know, And, and so I think I'm not sure what approach if we'll actually give her give our children an allowance or not, we might. But I think it's even more so important to make sure that she's included as we are talking about all of our finances and so that she can see how we manage money as a team together. Exactly. And I was just going to mention, a lot of times people think this needs to be some sort of like formal, educational, formal lessons. And that's that's not at all how it should be. I think how it should be. I know with our own children, they're teenagers now, but every time something is happening, I always make sure 
that I bring up like real life examples, whatever it is that I'm going through. It could be even things like, you know, I realized like maybe a couple of years ago, I realized that my kids don't know anything about warranty and our uh, cooktop broke down and we had warranty on it and um, the company wasn't honoring the warranty. And I was like, this is a perfect example to talk to my kids about this, not to scare them, but just to like make them aware of like, what warranty is? Why do you get warranty? So it's like literally whatever's happening in our lives, like we just try to share it with our kids. And of course, we're mindful about how much we share and how much like, you know, whatever the age they are, like how much they can handle. Now that they're teenagers, we have very open conversations about a lot of things. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, you know, as you were saying that, you know, just trying to use real life examples or real life scenarios rather to make it an educational moment it just makes me think of the power of exposure and, you know, just exposing your kids, you know, as you're just going through life, what can be a teachable moment for them and being very intentional with that. So I love that. Yeah, no. And I was going to say, I took our our daughter grocery shopping with me one time Mm -hmm. and it was a certain amount that we had. Right. And she picked three things, three things, and it all went over. So out of the three things that she had, you wasn't here. I mean, you wasn't there when I did it. So I said to her, I was like, Hey, you know, we only have a certain amount of money that we could spend you have to pick one out of the three so that we don't go over. And I asked her about five times, right. <laughs> about, about which one did she, she want? He was like, I want all of them. Right. As and then she picked one. She didn't cry. She was like, she loved that one. And then oh, we purchased it and yeah. we left. And she was, she, she was, was fine. Cool yep. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wow. That's actually quite immature because she's still so young. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our daughter, you know, sometimes she's very mature. And, and sometimes she's, she's a three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, but I, I love it. And like, we, we definitely are in trying to be intentional with teaching her as we're just going through life and making everything a teachable moment. Yeah. And we'll, we'll yeah. bring now up the, now that you say that we have to buy her some Oreos because okay. we owe her some Oreos. Yeah. Oh, from before. <laughs> yeah. So we need to, we yeah. need to make that into yeah. a moment. We'll, we'll talk about the allowance uh, in a couple of years. Yeah. Too. In a couple yeah. years. Yeah. I think she's still young. Yeah. No, I mean, you've shared a lot of great tips, uh, Maya. And like, we have a lot to talk about for us. <laughs> I, I do want to get into one last topic with you though, because you mentioned when your children are about 10 to 11 to bring up investing for your kids. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine a lot of parents are like, what? Like, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just bringing up investing for myself, myself, right? (laughs) Like I barely know about investing. You know, a lot of parents are saying that a lot of parents aren't educated on investing. And so I wonder if you can just quickly break down for us, how can children or how can parents start investing for their children? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm just going to, you guys will have to edit this part out. I just want to ask, is it okay if I talk about my Wealthy Kids Investment Club in here at all or no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll just mention it. I'll just mention it briefly, but um, just because it kind of ties into that. Okay. And also, I think the further clarify is how can parents teach their kids about investing, investing. That, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's a good... But I also want to know the investment and, and fo- vehicles. And then follow for, up after that. Yeah, how do you vehicles. teach? And then what are the investment vehicles that you can parents can start investing for their children today? Perfect. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of different choices for parents, but obviously the first one is a lot of parents were not taught about investing as they were growing up. Like schools don't teach this, right? I know a lot of parents feel intimidated by investing, but... There are some, I guess, investment strategies that are not as complex as, you know, we're led to believe. So obviously, first, I always suggest that parents educate themselves 
and then they start educating their kids. And this is, this is one thing that actually um, we do in my Wealthy Kids Investment Club, but I can talk about that a little bit later. But one thing that I suggest that's a lot of fun to do is to actually, for kids' birthdays or special occasions, to buy our children a stock of a company that they know and understand or a stock of a company whose products the kids use and love and understand. So I'm just saying this, that, that, you know, I'm not suggesting that anybody buys this particular stock, but I'm just going to use it as an example. For example, Apple. We have, many of us have iPhones, many of us have iPads, you know, the, the, the watches. So kids know Apple. And, um, you know, if we, you know, for example, buy them a stock of Apple for their birthday, this is something that, you know, we can have a conversation around every once in a while and look at the stock and say, is it going up? Is it going down? And, uh, you know, if, if Apple is in the news, we can have a conversation like, okay, so this is what they are saying in the news. What do you think is going to happen to your stock? Is your stock price going to go up? Is it going to go down? So that's one example. Another example would be as they get older, I personally absolutely love investing in ETFs and index funds. And I believe that's like an easy way to learn how to invest. So uh, parents actually, and, and you guys are in the US, so I'm just going to talk a little bit briefly about the different options that parents have to invest on behalf of their kids. So a lot of times parents ask me, okay, which account should I invest in or who should I open up an account with? So there is, again, no one fit all answer to that. First of all, like when it comes to brokerages, I think people really need to do their research and understand how much the brokerages are going to charge them. But the beautiful thing about ETFs and index funds is that the fees are very low. So that's why I like investing in those. Plus there's this immediate diversification. But when it comes to actual accounts, I tell everybody, like especially my followers on Instagram, you know, you really need to figure out, okay, what is your goal? Like, what are you investing for? What are you trying to achieve? Because that goal is going to determine whether or not you're going to invest in like 529 plan or custodial Roth IRA or the UTMA account. So like, for example, if you are saving or investing for your child's education, you would consider investing into a 529 plan because that makes sense. Custodial Roth IRA would only be applicable to, to those parents who have businesses and can actually use their child to earn a salary from their business. And you know that money that the child earns can be invested into custodial Roth IRA. Plus, it can be written off by the parent for tax purposes. So there's like a great benefit there. But I always suggest that you know, in order for parents to figure out which account they should open, the best thing is to actually talk to your the person that prepares your taxes or like a tax accountant, somebody who understands your personal financial situation. Because as a CPA, I know that there is no one fit all approach. You know, I, I've so many times I've seen circumstances where something has worked really, really well for someone, like in terms of investment strategy. But it definitely doesn't work for somebody else, even though on the surface, it seems like these two people have the same income and you know things seem the uh, same, but it's actually very different once you start digging under the surface and you know kind of understand the other person's personal financial and tax situation and their goals. Yeah, definitely. Personal finance is personal. Your investment strategy is personal. But I think the one thing I wanted, you know, our listeners to get out of this is that you can start investment vehicles for your children. And I think so many of us don't realize that. 
oftentimes we just put our money in a savings account and, you know, we're missing out on, like you said earlier, compounding interest that can grow over time and exponentially grow to an amount more than what would, what would be in, in your sa- storing the money in your savings account. And so I think it's just important for parents to really educate themselves on 529 college savings plans, on the custodial Roth IRA, if it's applicable, on custodial brokerage accounts, as well as the UTMA account that you, that you mentioned also, because you, you can miss out on a lot of money. And the, and the benefit is for our children, they're so young. And so the earlier you start, you know, these investment, these investing vehicles for them, it can grow to so much over time, even if you're just putting a small incremental amount and just being consistent with that, that it can grow to a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of us are, a lot of us have been taught to save. We all know that saving is important and sure it is, but you know, if we actually compare like, for example, leaving that money in the savings account for our child. And if we just compare the interest rate that that money is earning in the savings account, if we compare that interest rate to, let's say, the rate of inflation, we don't even need to do math. We can just compare one number to another. Like the inflation is, let's say, 8% and you know, savings account gives you 2%. Well, by, just by comparing those two numbers, you can tell that you know, the inflation is going to lessen the purchasing power of that money in the savings account. So instead, like what we have to do is we have to invest that money. And I mean, there are a lot of different investment vehicles and investment products that we can invest in, but just leaving that money to sit in the account, I almost feel like we're doing injustice to our children. And we have to, I know learning new skills is hard, but you know, I think we have to learn about investing. Nobody has ever taught us it's not fair. We have to get past that. But even the most, one of the most famous uh, investors of all time, uh, times, Peter Lynch, he said, "You just, we all need just grade five education in order to understand how investing works. So everybody can learn this for the benefit of their kids." And so I think that, you know, we can, you know, I really firmly believe that every parent can do this for their child. It just takes some commitment and dedication. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, we we weren't taught about money as you, as you say, but we have the advantage of internet, people like yourself to help you, you know, better the experience that you had growing up. So it's important that, you know, we take the little steps day by day to educate our kids about money. And I just want to say, I know parents, RJ and I, we're parents too. Maya, you're a parent. Time is limited. Time it is. Time itself is a limited resource, especially for parents. And so, you know, I think it's just taking those incremental moments, steps to just start educating yourself. It might be 10 to 15 minutes every day where you're just going to focus on, you know, consuming educational content, an article, a video, just learning about how you can invest for your children or just basic money management skills for your children. Yeah. We talked about, you know, some like examples here, right? When you're going through, you know, different things, you know, try to give real life examples that, you know, your kids can relate to. And a lot of parents take their children grocery shopping, right? That's an easy place to like go there and learn about money. Learn about money because you everyone has a budget, should have a budget going in there. I know we did and we do now when it comes to that. So it's just more of like being intentional and 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 do things with purpose. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Maya, you shared a lot of great information with our audience, just from the allowance methods to which RJ and I, you know, (laughs) we have to discuss. 
for our, for our daughter, but I think we have a couple of years to, you know, how to, you know, start and invest, how to start investing for your child. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners keep up with you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So if they want to learn more, I'm mainly hanging out on Instagram. Unfortunately, there are some scammers out there impersonating me. So just uh, my handle is teach.kids.money. So there are other similar handles kind of floating around, but that is my uh, Instagram handle. And I also have, uh, for those parents who actually want to learn about investing, I do have a family membership club. It's called Wealthy Kids Investment Club. And that's essentially, it gives these short 10 to 20 minute lessons that parents can do and then uh, with children and then go through different workbooks and games that we have on there. So essentially it just really requires parents to spend half an hour once a week to kind of learn more about investing. So the website for that is wealthykids.club, not .com, but .club. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maya. This has been an awesome episode. Yeah, we're so grateful for yes, you coming on. Uh, continue doing what you're doing. Teaching kids about money is mm-hmm. definitely needed and you're doing an amazing job and really appreciate all you're doing. Thank you guys. And you guys are doing an amazing job. I love listening to your podcasts and you know the guests that you have. I always learn something new and <laughs> I always feel inspired. So please you know, keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration.